So we are um, back to Timothy. Uh, I think we completed our study of 1 Timothy last year, last October, I think we completed it. And now we're going to start our series on 2 Timothy. Okay? And I miss Timothy so much. I'm very excited to come back to Timothy. So, um, as you recall, I mean, when Paul writes these letters, these, most of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to the churches. And every letter, Paul wrote these letters with specific goals, specific teaching that applies to the churches. But 2 Timothy, Paul is writing exclusively to Timothy to encourage Timothy, right, to fan the flame of faith, according to verse 6. The question is, why does Timothy need encouragement? Why did Paul have to write this letter to Timothy? What exactly is Timothy going through? Timothy is in a rough spot right now as Paul is writing this letter. Paul is writing this letter around AD 64, 65. And what is happening in AD 64 in the time of the Roman Empire was there was the first citywide persecution of Christians by the Emperor Nero, right? Um, Emperor Nero was a crazy, violent king, and he started to persecute Christians in Rome. Why, oh, why? did Nero decide to persecute Christians? It's because in AD 64, there was a great fire in Rome. There was a fire that engulfed the whole city of Rome that burned nine days. Imagine DC or New York being on fire for nine days. After the nine days of fire, 71% of the city was demolished. You would figure, right, if the city burns nine days, most of it will be burned to a crisp. We don't know who started the fire. Some say Nero himself started the fire. We don't know who started the fire. But Nero, for some odd reason, decided to blame the Christians because Christians were very unpopular in the city. Why, oh, why were Christians unpopular in the city? Because they believed in one God, Jesus Christ. Christians didn't believe in, Christians believed in monogamy, that you should only have sexual relationship with only with your wife. Crazy. Christians believed that you shouldn't abstain from food eat, given to idolatry. Christians were anti-cultural against the culture of Rome, and they were hated. So Nero decided to persecute Christians. He executed Christians. In fact, Paul was executed under Nero. So now in the city of Rome, the emperor himself started to kill Christians. First steely-wide persecution of Christians by the Roman government. And Timothy was in the middle of that. Another reason why Timothy needed encouragement was Paul's death was imminent. 2 Timothy, Bible trivia, is the last letter that Paul wrote. It is the last letter that Paul wrote. 
And Paul is writing this letter in a dungeon cell in Rome. Paul was imprisoned twice during his missionary journey. The first time he was imprisoned by, by the, I'm sorry, he was imprisoned twice by the Roman government. The first time he was imprisoned, it was like a house arrest, right? He had a lot more liberty. So he could write Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians. Ephesians, Corinthians, Corinthians, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Philippians, while he was having that house arrest type of jail situation. When he was writing 2 Timothy, he was no longer in house arrest. He was in a dungeon. And it was, it was a matter of days, it was a matter of time, where, the, where he's going to get pulled out of the dungeon and get beheaded and die. So Paul's death was imminent. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. Right? That's what Paul says. You know, I laid my hands on you, which means Timothy was, Paul was the great mentor to Timothy. Now his mentor is about to die. Think about it. Christ, government was starting to kill Christians. His mentor is about to die. And the fellow Christians were becoming divided over false teaching. The church that should, be, that should have been united under persecution is divided because of false, wacky teachers ta- teaching wacky doctrine. And Timothy, by natural personality, he was a timid guy. He wasn't a confident guy like Paul. He was a timid guy. And if you think about this, so internally, the church is divided Externally, the government is killing Christians, right? And his only light in his life, Paul, is about to die. Isn't it tempting for Timothy to give up the faith? Right? God didn't make, e- God didn't make ministry easy for good old Timothy, right? If there is any reason for him to quit the ministry and say, look, I am out, yo. I'm going to be a farmer. If there's anyone with a legitimate reason of quitting ministry, it's good old Timothy. That is why Paul is writing this letter to encourage Timothy to stand faith, to stand firm in the faith. The reason why 2 Timothy is relevant to us is because we too are constantly tempted. To give up the faith. We may not face persecution by the government yet. But within the church, within our internal minds, within the culture, it is certainly very easy for us to fold up our tent and just say, I'm done with this Christian business. Look, I'm really into Revelation. Right? I'm really into it. Right? I know we should be in Genesis, and I'm going to be in Genesis like real soon. But I'm really into Revelation. The main reason why Paul, Paul, John wrote Revelation, it is to encourage the seven churches he mentions in the early chapters of Revelation to not give up the faith. Same reason why Paul wrote to Timothy. 
And in, the, in Revelation, Paul describes the beast, the great beast. What chapter is that? Paul describes the great beast in chapter 13. The great beast that symbolized in, that, that symbolized in chapter 13 is the forces of government and of the world that's going to try to, dis, to destroy Christians. That beast in, in Revelation 13 is not just one government and one antichrist but it is a constant form of government and spiritual forces that will continually try to destroy Christianity. With that beast, John is saying, there will be consistent, constant forces of the world that will try to demolish Christianity. And this beast is closer than you think it is. Look. The main narrative, the main philosophy that is controlling the West, the West means America and, and Europe, right, is the philosophy based on Hegel, this guy named Hegel and Marx. And Hegelian and Marxist philosophy divides the world into the oppressed and the oppressor, those with power and those without power, right? That's a very simple, simplistic way of describing it. The entire West is enamored and controlled by this idea. The life is really about the struggle between the powerful and the powerless, the oppressor and the oppressed. Do you understand? That's the narrative that's everywhere. Okay? LGBTQ, LGBTQ is interpreted through this lens. Racial relations are interpreted through these lens. Everything is interpreted through these lens, through this lens. Christianity, guys, is a religion of the oppressor. Christianity, if you, if you look at biblical Christianity, people say biblical Christianity is patriarchal, which means it supports patriarchy, which supports, like, you know, elevation of men and, and, and you know, devaluing of women. Christianity is homophobic. Christianity is racist. And they quote passage of the Bible, specifically 1 Peter, where Peter tells the slaves to be good to their earthly masters. So in the mind of the West, which your children, are, you need to be careful, they may be influenced by, Christianity is the religion of the oppressor. Therefore, it is right and fair thing for the world to get rid of Christianity. Look, I'll, sometimes I, I, I go to this blog called DC Urban Mom and Dad. It's like this blog where moms and dads in the DC area post various issues about life, like where the kids go to college, you know, like, you know, like, you know, advanced placement, get, kids get into TJ colleges, all that stuff. They post all that stuff. And there's a religion section in the blog. And I looked at the religion section, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it one, and the title of the religion section was McLean Bible Church. I go, let me click on it. And I click on McLean Bible Church. And the D.C. urban moms and dads in this area, the rich people, a lot of them say, McLean Bible Church is a cult. They go, what? McLean Bible Church is full of MAGA Republicans. McLean Bible Church, right, are racist. 
Missionaries, they say, are imperialist. They try to, you know, they try to elevate American culture and demolish the native culture. So McLean Bible Church is full of, McLean Bible Church is a biblical church, right? It's MAGA, racist, ignorant fundamentalists. And if you're a missionary, you're an imperialist. That's not, those are not the fringes of society. Those are the Lexus-driving soccer moms of Northern Virginia who view Christianity in that way. If you tell people you believe in God, they're not going to be offended by the fact that you believe in God. I believe in God too, they say. But to quote Tim Keller, if you say you believe in a biblical God, the God of the Bible, they think you will be a bigot, a homophobe, and a racist. Yes, Tim Keller says, people hate the biblical God. That's the culture that we're living in is anti-Christian. Not only is our culture anti-Christian, the fight is not only from the outside, like Timothy's fight was not only on the outside, the fight is also on the inside of us, right? There are forces that visit us every day that makes us want to kind of not really work on our faith. Let's be honest. And the number one force that tries to move us away from Christ and being remaining in him is our concern for bread. The word bread here is anything that relates to money and stuff in this world, which is your job, basically. And a lot of us, remember when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, the first temptation that, Jesus, that Satan laid on Jesus was, Turn these stones into bread. Satan wanted Jesus to think about what the bread of the, the, the actual practical things to live. Similarly, Satan wants us to focus only on the things related to bread. About your work. About stuff that you can buy with the fruits of your labor. Right? Material bread. What you will do in the future. Where you will live. Things of bread. And when these concerns of bread overwhelm you, Jesus says, you will not be able to bear the fruit of life. Right? Parable of the sower. Jesus says, one person, there's this type of person where the word of God is heard. But because their concern for the things of the world is so great, they choke out the living word from bearing fruit. I don't think the reason why we are not tempted to go remain in Christ on a daily basis it's not because you don't have time. Let's, let's be honest. You don't have to, it's, not, it's not a matter of time. 
It's a matter of you're, we're over-concerned with the things of bread. And we think things of bread is the only thing that really matters. And therefore, we commit spiritual suicide. We commit spiritual malnourishment. You understand? And the third reason why people want to fold Christianity is they hear a lot of false teachers. They follow teachers who do not preach from the Bible. I don't know. They, you follow preachers that preach a social agenda. You follow preachers who, who preaches, who say things that your itching ears want to hear. That's why Paul warned to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the last days, in the end days, people will no longer be open to sound doctrine. In fact, they will, they will run after teachers who teach them what their itching ears want to hear. People will want to find Christianity that agrees with them, right? Rather than them wanting to follow after God. There is, look, if you believe in Christianity because Christian, because you agree, because somehow Christianity confirms what you already believe in, how's that Christianity? If your faith just affirms what you, what you believe in anyway and don't lead you to God, what's the purpose of those, preach, those sermons? People are going away from Christianity because of ineffective sermons and teachings in the church. Similar like Timothy, we, we face Various temptation to fill the faith. And that's why 2 Timothy is relevant to us. So Timothy is going through this temptation of living, giving up the faith. Then how does Paul encourage Timothy through these opening verses? The first way that Paul encourages Timothy through these verses where are those Bible verses? Verse 1. Paul reminds Timothy of what Christianity is. And what Christianity is, is Christianity is in the, the life-giving business. Paul says, Timothy, you need to stay faithful because it is only Christianity, it is only Jesus Christ that can give you life. How do you, where do we see that? Verse 1, Paul greets himself. Paul, verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promises of life that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 is one of those verses that we're tempted to just like read and forget about it. But no, we've got to study it. because There's so much treasure in verse 1. First of all, the word Paul here. You know what the word Paul means, by the way? It means small. Isn't that great? Paul says, I, Paul, I, the small one, am, am, am an apostle. I'm a messenger of who? Of Christ Jesus. 
Why does Paul call, describe Jesus as Christ Jesus and not Jesus Christ? Think about it. Ooh. There's a reason why Paul describes Jesus as Christ Jesus rather than Jesus Christ. Christ is Jesus' title. Jesus is his name. This is very important. All the other apostles, Peter, John, Matthew, the first time they met Jesus, Jesus was a man. Right? They met Jesus as a man Jesus. Paul is the only apostle whose first encounter with Jesus was that is, is his encounter, his first encounter with Jesus was he, was he was encountering Jesus as the risen Lord. Paul never encountered Jesus as man. The first time Paul encountered Christ was after Jesus' resurrection. After Jesus' glorification. So when Paul says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul is saying, I am the messenger of the anointed one, of the Messiah. For Paul, Jesus is already the Messiah. He's the risen Messiah. He is the risen Savior. Paul describes himself as a messenger of the risen Savior. And what does this risen Savior do for us? He gives us life according to the promises of life. Jesus is, Paul is describing Jesus as the risen Messiah who gives life to people. What does it mean for Jesus to give you life? It means eternal life. And eternal life does not mean the length of life. But eternal life means the quality of life. So I'll give you an example. Do you know the thing that we consider beautiful, right? When, you, when we look at pictures and paintings and people. Let's look at people, for example. Things that are beautiful, everything is in a nice balance, is in harmony. It really is. If you look at beautiful people's faces, their left side is direct proportion to their right side. They're very symmetrical. The face works in harmony, right? If you're not attractive, it's because there's parts of your face that are a little off. They don't match. It's not in harmony. I'm looking at anyone else in particular here, okay? It's talking to me. Okay, I'm not beautiful because there's my right side and my left side. They don't match. Things that are beautiful are balanced, are in harmony. When God created a human being, he created human being with a specific order and harmony. When we have a relationship with God, we have harmony with God himself. We have harmony with other people. We have harmony with nature. It is a perfectly balanced harmony. Okay? When God created us, he created us in a very harmonic, well-proportioned way. 
and I experience this sometimes. When I go, when I have a meal with my kids, right? Our tradition is we go to IHOP at Christmas, mor- Christmas morning. We go to IHOP, right? And when we go to IHOP on Centerville on Christmas morning, my kids are talking, my wives are talking. There is harmony in our family, right? Caleb makes on to Charlotte. Charlotte, you know, insults back. They, they do you mama jokes to each other in front of their moms. It's the craziest thing I ever heard, but that's what they do. They make you mama jokes to each other in front of their mom. Who does this? But they do that, right? We're in harmony. Everyone's happy. Everyone's listening together. We're a unit. That's a harmony. And there's a joy and beauty that comes from such harmony. But what sin is, what sin does, is sin disrupts harmony. When you leave God out of the, when you remove God, who is the center of all existence, when you leave God out of your consciousness, everything in our lives falls apart. Everything in our lives becomes disjointed. The harmony between what we think and reality, there's a disjointed, there's a disunity here. You know why people suffer? Because what they think in their minds is quite different from what is really real, right? People are imprisoned to their thoughts that are not real, on things that are not real. It's crazy. I'm suffering from that right now. Your mind is not in harmony with reality. Relationships are not in harmony with each other. Husband and wives become enemies. Parents and children have this like awkwardness where people, they don't really share, share their life with one another. Churches are in disunity. Everything lacks balance. I sound like a Jedi, but it's true. Everything lacks Balance. Your thinking lacks balance. Your relationship lacks balance. Everything lacks balance and harmony. And that causes pain. And that's what death is. Do you understand? But the only way that you restore life, restoring life and restoring harmony, balance to your life, and the only way that you restore harmony in your life, it is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Look, things, people in life are valuable. Friendships are valuable. One of the Embrace members the other day, come pick me up in my home, wine me and dine me. And we didn't wine, right? We diet coked and di- he diet coked and he dined me. And there's this warm encouragement. I had a warm glow about me the entire week because, because I was courted. He picked me up, right? Gave me a, bought me a steak, right? Fantastic. And as much as I appreciate that friendship, it is valuable. That friendship in and of itself, just by that friendship, as valuable as it is, it is not enough to restore balance in my thinking. Okay? It is in Christ. 
It is in this conscious relationship with Christ that harmony and balance is restored. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't give up because Jesus Christ is the only one who can, who can give you that kind of life. There is no other source. There is no other person. There is no other job. There is nothing in this world that can restore life in you. Besides Jesus Christ. So Timothy, I know you're tempted to give up, but Timothy, it's like you're the only guy with water in a world that is burning. You're the only one with the water to quench the fire in the world. Timothy, you have the only good, only treasure, the only antidote to the insanity of the world, which is Jesus Christ. So my boy Timothy, don't give up. Your calling is very, very valuable, Timothy. My dear, embrace do not daily give up on your faith. Do not daily give up on your relationship with Jesus Christ, who wants to give you harmony and life in a daily basis. Do not ignore him. Do not be content in your insanity. Do not be content with the discord of your relationships. The only one that restore harmony in your mind, in your relationship, is Jesus Christ. Do not forsake him. Verse 2, Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. Timothy, be encouraged because God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of God is a God of peace. Quickly, what does grace mean? Grace is the undeserved favor, undeserved love, God's un undeserved love towards his people, God's undeserved forgiveness given to sinners to free, from, free them from their sin and enable them to live a life of service to him. The word grace here means God's unilateral love and forgiveness to his people that frees them from their sin, like I talked about before, that frees them from their insanity and restores their relationship with him. That's what grace is. God rescuing people from sin and the insanity and the destruction that sin causes and restoring the right relationship with him. Mercy refers to God's undeserved compassion in freeing sinners from the misery that their sin creates. Mercy, God's mercy is God rescuing you from your sins so that you will be rescued from the miseries caused by sin. Peace is God, that you have a restored relationship with God that restores balance to all things. God is in the business, Timothy, of giving you grace, giving you mercy, and giving you peace. Embrace. God is in the business of giving you grace. Rescuing you from your sins. Mercy. Rescuing you from the misery of sin. 
and giving you peace, restoring the right relationship with him that results in right relationship with everything else in your life, including your mind. Timothy, don't give up. Because God will give you grace, mercy, and peace. Embrace, don't give up. Because God will give you grace, mercy, and peace. How does does also Paul encourage Timothy? Paul encouraged Timothy by thanking God on Timothy's behalf. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Paul encourages Timothy by number one, telling Timothy, hey Timothy, I thank God for you. What is, when you thank God for something, you know what you're really doing? You're telling God, God, you're the, you're the one who's responsible for all this. When I bought, when, when someone buys me a meal, and when I thank him for that meal, or thank her for that meal, I don't want to be sexist, when I thank someone for something, it's because that person did something for me. Okay? When you're thanking someone, you're recognizing this thing that the other person has done for you. When you're thanking God, listen to me carefully, when you're thanking God, you're acknowledging God, you have done this for me. That's why thanksgiving is important. You're recognizing the sovereignty and control of God over your life. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I thank God for you because all the spiritual growth, everything, all the good things, all the positive things that you are experiencing, I recognize God is doing that. When I think of you, Embrace, I thank God for what he's doing with you. I have conversations with you. I do. And I, and, and I had a membership conversation with a couple of people, and they told me what, about their faith. I was surprised by where they were in the Lord, what God is doing in their lives. And I thank God for what, was God was, what God was doing in their lives. When I have conversations with you, when I see what God is doing in your lives, I thank God for you because I know it's God who did that for you, not me. Thanking God means, God, you did this, you did this, you did this. You're acknowledging him. Guys, one of the ways that you grow spiritually, start thanking God for everything, is recognizing God, including the stinky parts of life. The other day, my paralegal made a mistake. I almost had a heart attack. But in that moment, I said, I thank God that you gave me that paralegal, and I thank God that you allowed the paralegal to mess up. Thank you for giving me that trial, I said. Because that's the opportunity where, once again, I experience God delivering me from my job. Guys, when you are facing difficulties, thank God for those difficulties. Because thanking God for difficulties, you are acknowledging that God is in control of that situation. And in that situation, God will bring forth treasures out of that. Just don't thank God for the good things. 
Thank God for the crummy things. So that through the crummy things, God will show you his favor. That is why Paul says, I delight in my weakness. I delight when people beat me up. I delight when I'm imprisoned. I mean, I, I delight when I'm, when I'm what? When I'm whipped. Because when I am weak, I know God is strong. Thank God for everything. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be encouraged. Because I thank God for you. Thanking God means, Timothy, I know God is all your growth. God has done it. Timothy, Paul says, I also pray for you. Day and night, I pray for you, Timothy. You know what prayer is? If thanksgiving is telling God, you have done this, acknowledging God for the things that he has done in your life, Praying, listen to me carefully, is telling God, only you can do this. Thanksgiving is only you have done this. Prayer is only you can do this. Prayer is acknowledging your limitation. Prayer is acknowledging the impossibility of that situation. Prayer is acknowledging your helplessness but also in God's power and sovereignty. When you pray, you're saying, God, only you can do this. I am, someone to ask me, why do I, of all the craziest, look, when I was getting ordained, ordained interview, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very interesting, right? Lawyer, pastor, blah, blah, blah. and one of the interviewers asked me, in your busy schedule, where do you, where do you, how do you pray? Where do you, where do you have time to pray? And this is the best answer that I gave with any answer to any question. I said, sir, if I don't pray, I die. And that's true. If I don't pray, I can't be your pastor. If I don't pray, I can't parrot my kids. If I don't pray, I can't love my wife. If I don't pray, I can't do life. Because I acknowledge that nothing is really within my control. Yes, there are times when I don't pray, when, I, when I'm in burdened. But by God's grace, I always come back to prayer because I know the impossibility of what I'm called to do, and I cannot do it without prayer. Guys, Embrace, you make me pray. Thank you, Embrace. You make me pray. Why? Because without God, you cannot change, and I know that. Parents, without your prayers, your kids cannot change. Your parents cannot change. That's why you pray. Timothy, Paul says, be encouraged. I pray for you night and day. The most dangerous person in Christianity is a guy who says, I'm good. I'm smart enough. I'm experienced enough. I don't have to pray. 
Francis Chan says, he asked his staff members how long they pray. And if their answer is, I pray less than an hour, he fires them. I said, that seemed very harsh, but I think that's true. Because a pastor who doesn't pray is ineffective and, dare I say, worthless servant. Similar to every leader of the household, dads and moms. Where will your yelling really get your kids? Where will your spoiling your kids get them anywhere? Your yelling and your spoiling cannot restore harmony in their minds, right? Only Christ can, and that's why you pray. Paul encourages Timothy by telling him, I thank God for you, and I pray for you. Paul encourages Timothy by reminding Timothy his roots. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul calls Timothy's faith sincere. Sincere faith is a faith, is a pure faith. It's a faith that is that comes from a deep conviction internally of knowing who Jesus is. And that conviction leads to action. Hi Hippocratic faith is thinking that you believe in Jesus, but living completely opposite from him. And the reason why you live, people live opposite of Christ, even though they confess Christ, is because internally they're not really convinced Jesus is who he is. The thing about hypocrites it's not because they cannot live up to their, what they believe in. It's because they don't really believe in what they say they believe in. Hypocrisy is a matter of you don't really believe what you say you believe. A sincere faith is a faith that from the inside, you're deeply convinced that Jesus is who you say he is. And this leads to an action that is consistent with your belief. Paul says, Timothy, you have that kind of faith. Whoa, what a compliment. But Timothy, that faith you did not generate on your own. Your faith was influenced by your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Right? A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So the sincere faith that you had you were influenced by your grandmother and your mother who also had sincere faith. Timothy, you did not generate that sincere faith on your own. God used your grandmother and God used your mother to generate that kind of faith. Listen to me carefully. Despite people's belief that human beings are people of reason, that we reason way through life, we're not. We're people who are influenced by the things of life. We don't normally make independent decisions and go by our daily days, no. Even what we think is influenced by certain things. You need to understand this. It, what, what is important is what you are influenced by and that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter, what Ephesians chapter is it? Paul in Ephesians chapter 
5. It is in chapter 5. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is not saying, Paul is not preaching against alcohol in Ephesians 5. He's not. What Paul is saying here is, people who get drunk do stupid things because they're under the influence of wine, right? Don't be influenced by stupid things, but rather be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Timothy was able to have his faith because his mother and grandmother influenced him. You and I, the way we, the way we, the way we are faithful to God is, number one, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and number two, for us to influence one another. Friday small group, it was just the three of us. Whoa, what a, what a small group what it was. Where we influence each other to get out of our insanity. Both the people that I was participating, all the people, all the participants were in a state of craziness during small group. But when we got together and talked, we helped each other come out of our insanity. We positively influenced one another by reminding each other of Christ. How do you walk faithfully in the Lord? You are influenced. You have to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. You have to be influenced by your brothers and sisters. You have to be influenced by the church. Embrace also online. There are many good sermons online. Be constantly influenced by these things. So that parents, you can influence your kids. Parents, as much as important as you telling your kids to read the Bible, it is very important they tell your kids to read the Bible, but more important than you instructing them what to do is that for you to influence them. You can influence Christ-likeness in your kids' lives. That will make a difference in the, your kids' lives, but the only way that you can be an influence in, in your kids' lives is for you to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Wives, you're, no matter how much you complain and, against your husband, because your husband is whatever he is, the way you would influence your husband is not by nagging to him, but, being, but, but for you to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Husband, same way. You're not going to make your wife feel all lovey-dovey because you buy expensive things for them. Trust me, I know. But it is for you to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of being influenced, man. Timothy, be encouraged. Because the God who is influencing you has influenced your faith through your mom and your grandmother. is a God who still exists and who is constantly will influence you. Timothy, the world is falling apart. The church is falling apart. I'm going to die, Timothy. But be encouraged. God has his fingerprints all over your life. He did it through your mother and grandmother. He did it through me. He's doing it through you now. He's everywhere using you to give life to people. Timothy, don't give up. Embrace, don't give up. Don't be chasers, just don't be chasers of bread. 
Do not spiritually starve yourself. Hold on to the giver of life and be faithful to him in this year. We're going to continue this next week, but Paul encourages Timothy by reminding Timothy, Timothy, we do, God has not given us the spirit of timidity and fear, but God has given us the power, spirit of power, wisdom. What is it? Power, wisdom, and what? Self-control. Oh, wait until next week. It's going to be great. God gives you these things, Timothy. Stay faithful. Let's pray.